Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, The Bachelorette heartbreaking finale, sad white men crying about censorship, a quick update about debt, depression, and housing, plus the trapdoor of racism and ask a white person. Hi. <laughs> hey, how's it going? You know, I'm trying to have a positive attitude today because they found out that when I have a bad attitude, life comes back to like bite me in the ass. So I am being positive today. I'm like channeling the secret. Let me hit you with two positive things about my day. One is that after literal months of saying, maybe I'll try to make some sort of overnight like pudding or oats in my fridge I actually did it I made overnight oats (laughs) love overnight oats delicious I gotta say I'm like you know I could maybe handle doing this like once a week and like making them in advance but like I feel very accomplished that I followed through on something that I had like bookmarked from Pinterest a lifetime ago so I did that Yo, shout out to Overnight Oats. It's not that I don't like to eat breakfast. It's just that like breakfast takes up too much mental energy. There's nothing I love more than when a scenario like that happens where you're just like, oh my God, like the food is already ready because I like planned it. Completely. I was like, why did it take me so long? But I also know that I will not do this every week. So I'm feeling I'm feeling great about that. I'm happy for you. You know, one of my <laughs> one of my favorite like old lady things to do is to make oatmeal in the crock pot. <laughs> I do it maybe like three times a year. But every time when I wake up and I smell it in my house, I'm so happy. Well, two things. One, I'm happy that like the house didn't burn down because I'm still like not clear on how crockpot technology works. (laughs) And and I'm like, oh, this shit smells nice. That's a real be your own wife win right there. Like I feel like overnight oats and like crockpot oatmeal are be your own wife situations. Seriously. (laughs) You're just like, you know, sometimes these robots like come through. Like this is great. Let me hit you with a second posy thing which is that we're not going to talk about nuclear weapons or the Cheeto at all today. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Because I keep monitoring my savings account and like news alerts because I'm like, if I just want a heads up in if we do get nuclear war that I want to spend everything I have. So because I'm going to be really pissed. I thought you were going to be like, I'm going to buy a small home in like an area that is outside no, of like the nuclear wanna, threat zone. I want to ball out. I'm like, I'm sorry. I finally got my credit right. I have a savings account. And you're telling me that I'm going to die soon. Like, like for what? I mean, I would say that like, of course, you finally get your credit right. And then you're going to die soon, right? Yeah, like shaking your fist as the bomb so goes unfair. off. Life is so unfair. Okay, let's not talk about that. What are we going to talk about today? Well, I have been dying to ask you about the Bachelorette finale. (sighs) Okay. And one reason why I want to have an actual conversation about it is because 
it is a show I don't watch, much like Game of Thrones, but it is like so in the ether that I like know that like she didn't choose the cute guy that everyone wanted her to choose. I knew there was controversy. I'm like, you know, I'm up on it, but I also don't have like, I have a lot of gaps in my knowledge. You like telling me that you don't watch The Bachelorette at this critical juncture is like people who tell me that they didn't vote in the like 2016 election. You know what? I could lie to you and fake that I watched The Bachelorette though. It's, you know, and thank you for never lying to me. Like you, like this is, this is what I love about you. This relationship has a solid like rock basis of truth and honesty. Waboom! Waboom. <laughs> See, I don't even need to watch good, it. I have okay, the internet. Good call. That was, I want to hug you. That was really good. Thank you. <laughs> but I do want you to break it down for me. Okay, I'm going to break down The Bachelorette to you really quickly. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I feel devastated like after Hillary lost devastated because Rachel, the black bachelorette, I wanted so much for her. And in the end, she played herself and I played myself. Here's what happened. Rachel ended up picking the worst guy out of the three options that she had left. She sent Eric home early. Eric was the like last standing black guy who uh, on the after show, the like after the Rose show came back with an amazing revenge beard and looks so hot now. Every week I was like, who is Eric? And then now I'm like, what? Like this guy's hot. I thought revenge beard was your your fake hetero partner. Like not not like an actual (laughs) thing on like a man's face. No, it's like revenge body, but for men, revenge beard. He looks really hot. So who knows? And then it was down to Peter, who, like, everybody loves. He's, like, gap tooth, really hot. And Brian, who says that he's a doctor, but really he just cracks people's backs. And also, he was in this reality TV show about finding a partner before called The Player. And he's just, like, he's just greasy and slimy. He's a bad person. Also, his mom kept calling him the love of her life. And you know that, like, that's why, like, they're never going to be happy or make it. Because the mom is, like, not ready to let him go. But so anyway, so usually Bachelorette finales are boring. Like, they're exceptionally boring. It's, like, 30 minutes in. You kind of don't care who wins. And you're, you're over it. Because they're so long. This one was three hours long. But the problem that happened with this one is that for the first time, there was a breakup before you could even get to the final decision time. So Rachel and Peter broke up. And it was so awful. It was, it's like I think about it and I still want to cry. I cried when it happened because Peter cried. What has developed in the last couple of weeks is that Peter made it really clear to Rachel that he likes her and he obviously wants to be with her. But he thinks that like getting engaged after 1.5 dates is weird. And <laughs> so he's like not sure whether he's going to propose to her, which, as you know, the prize of the bachelorette and the bachelor is getting engaged. We'll get into like in a couple seconds about why that's fucked up. But he's just like, he's like, I like you. You like me. Like we're hot together. Let's just like keep dating. And Rachel was like, no, no, I want to get engaged. And he was like, but you know, that's like, he's like, I only want to get engaged once and I want to do it right. And she, she was honestly like very unreasonable about it. He's like, I want an IRL engagement. And she's like, no, no, I want this fake reality TV engagement because who cares? Like it, it means the exact same thing. And you and I and Peter and the rest of the world know that it doesn't mean the same thing. But he was like, I'm committed to you and I will be here for you. And she was just like, nope, that's not what I want. I want, I want the ring that the producers gives you at the end of this. And so it just like, it proved unsurmountable. 
and she was like kind of cruel to him. He definitely cried like like serious tears. But also, Anna was hilarious. Like, he actually uttered the words, like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> okay, anytime and, a man is screaming what is wrong with me on television, like, it can't be the worst, know, like, show, also, right? <laughs> I don't know how to tell you this. In 21 seasons of me watching this franchise, nobody has ever questioned, like, the fact that the process was fucked up and weird before. Peter, nothing is wrong with you. This show is fucked up. But so they had this, like, emotional, like, heart-wrenching breakup, which then took the air out of the rest of the show because it meant that her only option was to get engaged with Brian, I guess. But also, like, that was the peak of emotion on the show, so you really didn't care what happened after that. So obviously, like, Brian proposed to her. It was stupid. The wind was blowing something fierce. Her weave was, like, all up in the wind. Like, it was just, like, it was bad. It was so bad. It's the engagement that nobody in America wanted. It was also, like, a good, like, uh, welcome back to reality. Because I watch the show, obviously. I'm in on, like, the ridiculousness that it is. And I feel like everybody is. Like, both the contestants, the the audience like nobody's really watching this show going like this is true love and this is how we should pick our partners and we're happy for these people we're all watching it because it's fucked up like that's how reality tv works but like in that moment you are reminded in just like how disgusting heteropatriarchy is and how backwards like everything at abc is and like how the the producers of the bachelor are the worst humans in the world and this is why it's not that I'm like not sympathetic to people devastated by this result. Like I understand getting invested in like even a fantastical or like non-realistic reality love story. But then I'm like, I've seen her Instagram shilling for Dunkin' Donuts now. And I'm just reminded, and sorry, Dunkin'. I was Dunkin'. so hurt that Dunkin' Donuts was the first sponsor that she chose <laughs> after she like went through this whole process. I mean, that's also the whole point, right? It's like the whole point of like being on The Bachelor so that you can launch your career into like being a the who, being a who liberty and then like getting all these dumb endorsements and getting free stuff. Like nobody yeah. does it to just actually to say, find love. Nobody does it to like find love. Yeah, you were like you're basically auditioning for the other half of your like influencer couple. I will confess that I was more heartbroken by the election result than I was by the Bachelor. I, I don't outcome. know how to tell you this. If you had invested even like two episodes <laughs> of The Bachelor, you I'm telling you, I woke up the next day and I was like, wow. Is this what it feels like to lose all hope and have nothing anymore? You know, honestly, what it is, and it's it's kind of my own fault. It's like part of the reason that I was into this season, I'm usually like not as invested. I still like check in and I watch and I read the Us Weekly every week so I know what's going on. But it's like, like Rachel was the first Black Bachelorette. Like she seemed more self-aware than the rest of them. And then so to watch this entire downfall, like that was really painful. But also this show is so stupid. It's like who you're <laughs> you're dating like 25 people for nine weeks, and then the last two weeks you're supposed to pick a husband. It's like this is not how dating works. It's not even how marriage works. It's not even how like 1930s marriage works. I just I wish that the show would like keep up with the times. Like I would be so down to watch a show where like some lady dates like 30 guys, makes out with them the whole time, and then after nine weeks she goes, Okay, I'm ready to date just one of you now. 
and then like see where that goes. Right. And that's you know the what I mean? Yeah, you know, yeah, and then yeah. like, and then that's the win. That's the actual prize. And I think that like for so many people who watch, like that's kind of our expectation because let's be real. A lot of these couples don't make it to marriage and the ones that do make it to marriage, like don't really last. So really like they're just starting to date for real now it's fucked up it's like the fact that there's like not more people of color on the show is fucked up it's 2017 the fact that there's not more like gay and queer people on the show is fucked up it's 2017 the fact that there's not more like people who come from regular class backgrounds is also like fucked up the fact that like everybody has to have a like perfect tv family to take somebody home to is fucked up like this is not the america we live in yeah and that's like one thing that is baffling to me i mean I understand the conceit surrounding The Bachelor and The Bachelorette franchises, but, like, part of me is, like, what is really interesting, like, kind of, like, the motivating factor of a show like this is people rooting for whoever is in, like, The Bachelorette position. And, like, that's one reason why I was actually paying attention to this season peripherally because I'm, like, I'm interested in the first Black Bachelorette. I'm interested in, like, Rachel more so than, like, whatever, 20 other seasons of contestants I won't lie but you would have really liked Jojo I think oh man I had it well this is like a whole other (laughs) tangent but I had a whole interesting conversation where I did not realize that Jojo is like not white but maybe Jojo identifies as white anyway Um, my favorite thing about Jojo was that like she was the horniest bachelorette which like the show (laughs) hasn't had in a long time but also like her advice to Rachel was like Pick with your head. Don't pick with your vagina because otherwise everybody will look the same (laughs) by the last five guys. And I was like, Jojo, you're so alive. I love you. But what I was going to say is it seems like there's an opportunity to like take that idea of like we're rooting for a person to like find love and like actually follow them in a way that is like you're saying, like more realistic to the ways that people who are single and looking to not be single are like dating or conducting their lives. Like it seems like you could like follow someone over a longer course of time and you could track like a bunch of dates and like there you, you could let them have a phone and like live their life and like be like at least somewhat normal and not in the reality fishbowl. Like, I don't know, like that is interesting to me. Like that like appeals to like my voyeuristic sensibilities more so than like this weird fantasy land they've created. Yeah, it's just, it's very, it's very strange. And also the ratings are down like considerably. And so- Really? Yeah, like really like a lot. People think that it's two things. One is that like it's a black bachelorette and nobody cares about the black bachelorette, which I think there's some truth to. It's like you can't put a back a black bachelorette up against like love and hip hop like on the exact same night. I'm I'm going to tell you like it has been very hard for me. Like I watch love and hip hop and then I like will watch my DVR of the bachelorette. Not going to watch ABC in real time. No, thank you. I mean, this is why the goddess made DVR, right? (laughs) Totally. But also I think that people are definitely like in on it, right? If I want like good reality TV drama, there's Housewives, there's Love and Hip Hop, there's like other stuff that doesn't take itself as seriously and is definitely more rooted in the like 2017-ness of now as opposed to like this show that it just like has refused to keep up with the times. And so the like the, the audience is like punishing them for it. Yeah, when you're holding up Real Housewives as an example of something more rooted in like real actual reality and the times, it's like, <laughs> wow, like that is a that is a real indictment of what's Listen, going on. Bravo Bravo knows what they're doing. Bravo knows what they're doing. I am somebody who watches a lot of reality TV. It's entertaining. 
But two, it's because I like the meta story around all of it, right? It's like, I like to see how, like, the TV show interacts with the tabloids, interacts with the digital stuff. With There's, um, to quote French Montana, there's levels to this shit. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like, it's, it's definitely, like, mindless, but it's, like, it's its own form of entertainment. So it's not for everybody. Um, I'm not saying, like, everybody should watch Real Housewives. But the Real Housewives, like, they know what they're doing and they're transparent. Like, they're very transparent in what they're doing, which I think everybody appreciates, as opposed to on The Bachelor, where they treat you like you're an idiot. It's like when my friends who all watch Game of Thrones are like, oh no, it's super violent and rapey. I'm like, what do you think you signed up for? Like, this is okay. not the first season. <laughs> I don't know how to tell you this. Game of Thrones is finally good. Like, the dragons finally came out to play. <laughs> I told you this already yesterday, but I'm going to tell you again. It's like <laughs> that part when you're on the roller coaster and the roller coaster is about to like go berserk and you're on it and you're having fun. Like, that's where we're at. It's like seven seasons have paid off. Yes, too much violence, too much rape. The plot points like make no fucking sense. For me, like it's the first fantasy like show I've ever watched. Like if you had told me that one day I would watch a TV show about like fantasy like weirdness where there's only white people and I'm 100% okay with it and then there's dragons, like I would have never I would have laughed in your face. And then who knew? Who knew? But but here's what I don't understand. Okay, so like both with that and The Bachelor, like especially as The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, sorry, both as like the season wore down and like probably like earlier parts of like this season of Game of Thrones and before, all I hear is pain. Like all I hear is like my friends who are like dedicated viewers being like, oh, like it's so like frustrating or it's so awful. And I'm just like, you know what? That's how I feel about the news. And I don't feel it's optional to unplug from that. Like in my entertainment, if I feel like that, I'm just like goodbye forever. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> you've like, you've, you have lost me because like, like the real world is inspiring those feelings. Like I don't need to feel those feelings as a result of like what I watch after I, like, like the president goes to bed. I'm telling you <laughs> that like on the last episode of Game of Thrones, I was yelling at the TV. I've never had that experience before <laughs> at a television show. Were you like, Dragon? I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, this shit is nuts. I want just like the the um, dragon supercut of Game of Thrones. Like that's all I will pay attention to. <laughs> yeah, you know, but at the same time, like Game of Thrones has so many problems. Notably like two showrunners who like don't know anything about like pacing and writing and like are idiots. Yeah. But that's its own problem. Their least- next their next show is a fantasy TV show about what would happen if the South had won the, the Confederate War. So get excited. Uh, okay. <laughs> get excited. Get excited. Okay, so that's the perfect transition because I want to talk about thin-skinned white men screaming about censorship. <laughs> like, that is, like, the perfect... Oh, uh, maybe we can talk because we haven't talked about this like Confederate or this show or any of the conversation around it. But essentially, uh, HBO announced that it was going to make this show, and people were like, "Huh? We don't really need some like what if the South had won the war Confederate fanfic because like because the already, police is still killing black people. Like yeah, and like, like we get it. 
Right. And like white supremacists are are rallying in the streets and like thriving in message boards online. You know, you can't even get them banned on Twitter. So like this is very much like in the present already. And maybe it's painful and a little bit tone deaf to greenlight a show like this. Q immediately. I mean, I've, I have not seen this point of view from anyone who isn't white and, and probably not also from anyone who isn't a man, but like the idea that somehow questioning the validity of creating the show is censorship. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me laugh a lot because people always hide behind like words like censorship and First Amendment or whatever when they just mean my feelings are hurt. And I was like, listen, you're entitled to your feelings. You're not entitled to your facts. Also, it's really laughable to say that, like, people voicing their opinions about not wanting the show are censoring the show in the sense that, like, none of those people have the actual power to greenlight the show or not. HBO decided that they were making the show. They made a calculated decision by, like, announcing it when they announced it. And I'm sorry for all of these white guys that love to talk about the free market of ideas. It's like the free market is telling you how it feels about your like stupid TV show. It's really laughable to me to see people like Judd Apatow like complain about the fact that it's air quotes dangerous to not let the show air when he <laughs> in his capacity as a producer. That's literally what he does all day is people come to him and they go, hey, will you make my movie about XYZ? And he says yes or no. Will you make my TV show about XYZ? And he says yes or no. I'm like, is that dangerous? Is that censorship? How is that different from ta Coates writing that maybe that show's not a good idea or people on Twitter saying that they wouldn't watch the show? Yeah, I mean, and also there is something about this point of view too. Well, so, so specifically Judd Apatow, who you're referring to, tweeted a link to another tweet that quoted ta article and said, censorship is never a good idea. They haven't even written a word. Seems a tad early to judge their work and intentions. <laughs> and like part of this is, is just a sense of a tad early, meaning when the concept for the project is greenlit, people are judging the concept for the project. Like that is not early. Like, yeah, no also like, like that's literally what you do for your own job. So like yes. calm down. Yeah, completely. And so also this is like failure to understand like the broader cultural political context that you are like creating art in. And like, this is the way I feel about a lot of art that I'm like, oh God, I wouldn't buy it or I wouldn't watch it. But like, how did this piece of work that feels so out of step get made? And I would be like, the answer is usually you are not paying attention. And like, that's how I feel about whoever is involved in saying that this is the right time for a show about the Confederacy continuing on in America. I'm just like, have you not been reading? Like, don't you read? But also, it's just, it's really dishonest. It's like, you know, maybe there's a reason that people have reservations about the two guys who, like, keep writing in extra rape scenes into the, like, Dragon TV show. Like, that mm -hmm. we have reservations about them, like, making a TV show about Black people. Maybe we've already seen your work and we're not impressed and we would not like it to apply to this other place. But also, it's really disingenuous in the sense that, like, this only ever comes up around questions of, like, race, you know? And, and the fact that, like, these, like, white guys don't want to be challenged on anything that is related to blackness is, like, really telling to me. It's like, mm, Here's like actual black people telling you like, you know, like people who would consume your product, like telling you how they feel about it. Maybe it's like worth listening to what they have to say. Yeah, I mean, and I, I do think it comes up in other ways as well. Like I think it comes up around 
gender identity and stuff that is like not very smart or clued in about that. I think it comes up around gender full stop. This is like a direct parallel in my mind to the Google memo that also came out this week in which like I I feel like the charitable read of that is that uh, a man, a male engineer at Google is like, listen, maybe unconscious bias training and uh, trying to strive for diversity aren't good ideas. Um, that's like the most charitable definition or way to look at that. Yeah, because because the power to code and to program is actually like right in the urethra. And so like women can't do this. It's like common knowledge that only men can see the zeros and the ones. Like everybody knows this. This like that memo, that memo though. T- yeah, it's like, let's let's get into all of it. But you're right that it is on the exact same spectrum because now people are saying the fact that the engineer got fired is like another sign that like diversity and inclusion are like dangerous ideas and that they stifle public discourse and that like his First Amendment rights were trampled on. And it's like actually maybe the fact that the engineer got fired is because like for decades Republicans have said that um, like unions are bad and that at-will employment is the way to go, and that maybe if you work for a corporation and you do things that embarrass your corporation, they can fire you for whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, and, like, the difference between, and this is sort of, like, the difference between someone like Judd Apatow charging censorship and, like, a, a full-time Google employee charging, like, like that their free speech rights are being trampled on when in fact, like, you know, either one of these people is free to stand on a street corner and scream about whatever they want and the police are not going to haul them off. Like this is about people with like employers and people with like money and like other types of power making choices. Yeah, it's not the government that is like stopping you from saying what you want to say. It's like actual corporations. Yes. This is something that like I think about a lot when, I mean, obviously this charge comes up all the time. And it's always like from people who are perpetuating essentially the status quo, like people who are like, you know, no one's ready for my truth, my super sexist, racist truth. <laughs> like, you know, like that's kind of like how it's framed. <laughs> and it's like, no, literally like the ether that like we are all in, like, like the very foundations of our society are super sexist and racist. It's not like what you're saying is like too hot for public consumption or like we can't handle it as a truth. Like we all know and accept that as a basic truth. And like part of the charge of like First Amendment violation or censorship is like these men setting themselves up as like victims and rebels, right? Like people who are like outside the system charging against it. And it's like, no, you literally are the system. Like you are in power. You are overrepresented. You get to decide. And just because you say the problem here is that I don't get to decide doesn't make that the truth. It's not opposite day. Like it's really like, I don't know. Like I see both of these things as so... I just, I I seethe. (laughs) No, I mean, again, like I told you, it's always like my feelings are hurt and then they hide behind like all of these like high-minded concepts and it's like, this is actual garbage. You know, like as a former Googler, it makes me lol so hard that somebody thinks like, and Google is definitely a company where like you can talk, you have access to everybody in the company, you can talk to them, you can write all these like internal memos as an internal meme board, like, like, you're pretty empowered to, um, to like, quote-unquote, like, challenge authority in the sense that, like, there's not really authority. Like, your opinion is valid for whatever you say. But the fact that, like, anybody who works there would think that, like, 
you could embarrass the, the company externally and not face any kind of like serious consequence is dumb. Also, that person believes everything that they believe, but he's also beholden to an internal code of conduct, you know, right? The fact that like you signed up to work at a place where there's a code of conduct that clearly says that you're not going to create a hostile work environment for <laughs> the other people that work with you. And now you've told all the women on your team that they're fucking idiots. Like, how is that supposed to work? The other thing that... I did not know until we were talking about this the other day is that Google is probably extra sensitive to this because they are being investigated by the Department of Labor. Maybe you could talk about that because I had no idea. Yes, there's like an entire Department of Labor investigation right now about the fact that like Google basically pays all of the women in the company uh, less money than they should. And the company has been ridiculous in the way that they've been fighting it. Like everything from like, oh, it's going to cost us too much money to give you all this data. Please, they like fucking print money in the basement of that place to like, uh, it's like the allegations are not true. Do you know how serious it has to be for the Department of Labor to actually like investigate you? Like the government like doesn't give a shit about the gender pay gap. And so, of course, they're sensitive to the fact that like now somebody is like saying that internally it's okay you know, like, there's a reason that, like, maybe women get paid less. It's because, like, vaginas can't computer. <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> it's just, like, every everything, like, nothing happens in a vacuum. Everything happens in a context. And so, like, here's what is happening. Like, here's what's happening at the company. And, like, if the Department of Labor, like, finds against them, it's actually a really big deal. And there's an entire movement of, uh, like, um, like basically like charging more women in Silicon Valley to take their grievances to court as opposed to like trusting the mm. HR process because so far it's like not working with them. Um, Anita Hill wrote like an amazing op-ed in the New York Times this weekend about it. And between that and the fact that like women just like women get paid less, women get like taken less seriously. You're having like all of this like serious harassment scandal that is happening on the venture capital side. Like people are sensitive. So maybe like this is not the time to write your like dumb memo about like dumb biological ideas that you think are novel and like smart. It's like, like read the fucking room. Like this is not the time. Yeah. I mean, and also it's not, it's not censorship if you didn't read the fucking room. Like, like that's like the other, that's like the bottom line. And also just like these being the exact same people who charge that everyone else is a snowflake if we raise issues of like discrimination or sexism or racism. Like that's the other thing that bothers me. It's like, so I've started to think about like, yeah. maybe we Oof. should be like, why is Google censoring its female employees by not promoting them or paying them well? Like why is HBO censoring women directors by not offering them series in like proportion to their abilities? Because censorship only applies to white guys. And like, where were you on First Amendment Day in high school when they teach you this stuff? First of all, I didn't get First Amendment Day. I went to Catholic high school. Second of all, <laughs> I am ready oh. to take back the high-minded rhetoric of like censorship and be like, you know what? Like if you're going to like go immediately to the most wounded, like wounded patriot place anytime that someone criticizes you, I'm like, I'm just going to steal it. I'm going to wait. I'm just crying censorship about everything now. <laughs> My whole thing to like all of the snowflakes that the men snowflakes, literally my best advice to them is read the fucking room. You can't like at a company where the CEO is named Sundar Pichai, like say that like maybe <laughs> you're just like, hey, hey, minority, do you think that ladies are crazy? It's like my man. That is like, 
you need to calm down. Like, this is not how this game works. Like, oh. this is this is not how this game works. Like, these people are stupid. They're always stupid. Sidebar, this person claimed why his memo was supposedly, like, so great is because he was, a P- he was like, a Harvard biology PhD. And then a uh, friend of the podcast, Natasha Tiku, uncovered and unwired that actually it's not true. All he had was a master's degree in systems biology, which is, like, basically the study of digestion. I'm like, I'm sorry. You know about, like, stomach enzymes. You know nothing (laughs) about, like, what happens, like, the kind of gender dynamics that, like, create, like, good or bad environments and technology. You need to calm down. Uh, They're always liars. And that, you know, like, and now he's, like, all over these alt-right websites, like, telling his truth. And I guarantee you, Anne, look him up. He looks exactly like you thought he would look. I'm Googling like him nothing, right now. Nothing about it is surprising. Hang on. They're always so predictable, these guys. They're always so fucking predictable. Oh, yeah. Wah, wah. Like, nothing here is a surprise. It's not a surprise that he wrote his dumb memo. It's not a surprise he thought it was going to change the world. And then instead he got fired. And then now he's like, he's going to like Pepe Twitter to like give, like tell his truth. I think that the operative word there is his truth. <laughs> Like, it's a very personal truth. It's not an objective truth. something like less depressing. Um, Well, I actually want to read this email we got from a listener. We got a lot of responses to the listener question from the last episode about debt and depression and housing issues. And listener Michelle wrote in to say, I just wanted to let her and you all know that New York City is actually very progressive when it comes to rent assistance and mental illness is recognized by housing court judges as a real illness. Luckily, your listener isn't in court, but she could very easily qualify for charitable assistance, especially since she has a plan to bring things current and her landlord is willing to work with her. New York City Housing Court has a hotline, and it's 212-962-4795, which you can call for a quick screening. And there's a website, which we will link to in show notes. So if you are um, going through some difficulties with mental illness and that is affecting your ability to pay rent, and you live in New York City, like uh, our listener, um, there are resources for you. And I, I love so much when our listeners write us and are like, here is like a super concrete, incredible like thing that you did not know about that would really help some people. So shout out to Michelle and thank you for emailing us. Seriously, thank you. That's like really good to know. Yes. Okay, do you want to take another email? I would love to. Would you like me, would you like me to read I, it? I will read it for okay. you. Okay, okay. Okay. I loved your podcast the first time I heard it. It was perfect for me. I get drowsy when I drive alone, blah, blah, blah. All these nice things. I have stopped listening. (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember which episode it was. Maybe the second or the third. I guess you didn't like it that much. There were a few comments about 
quote unquote white people or something totally lame about white people culture. Whatever it was, I'm not invested enough to actually go back and listen. The point here is that racism is not cute. It's not cute if you're talking about any color of human in a negative way and lump them all together in one degrading category. I know millennials have this thing where it's trendy or edgy to use white racism, like white humans have it coming to them or deserve a payback. But racism is racism. I refuse to perpetuate it in any way. (laughs) It's immature. I hope that you don't use racism in any more posts. We don't do posts, but sure. Furthermore, I hope you don't try and justify it after reading this and also stop using it in your personal life. You girls are smart. Be positive leaders. Use what you're doing to spread love. You can have it all in a nicely wrapped podcast. Do you think this email is specifically designed to provoke our outrage? (laughs) I think somebody is trolling me. I think somebody who knows me deeply well is trolling me because every paragraph has hit a pet peeve. But you know what, Anne, since you are our resident white person, I'm going to I'm going to ask you to explain like why your people are like this. What is up with this? As a white person, (laughs) um, I I feel like this listener really needs to understand. I mean, I don't know which episode this listener doesn't even know which episode they are referring to. But I would say that by and large, when we talk about white people as a group, we are actually talking about the embedded longstanding cultural and political power structure in America and much of the world, which says that white people as a group enjoy certain historical and current advantages that other people do not enjoy. And so also it's really helpful, I think, to identify white people as a group. It's not racist to say that like you have historically benefited from policies that have specifically been designed to advantage your you and people who look like you, honestly. I forget, we were talking about this like ages ago and about how, or maybe it was like a comedian's joke or something about how like only white people experience a relative dying and money just like showing up like unannounced <laughs> or like that experience <laughs> of like, of like, oh, actually someone I'm related to owns a bunch of property somewhere that I like now have access to. Or like anytime there's been like a surprise privilege, chances are like you've had that experience as a white person. And the not surprise privilege is day in and day out when you have an assumption of being the norm. I feel like this is directly related to our conversations about censorship. What's really funny is that this listener is talking about using white people, um, talking about white people as a group is something that they, quote, refuse to perpetuate in any way. And I'm like, the only way to not perpetuate some of these power structures is to talk about their existence. So it is totally fine for me to sit here and be like, white people, a group of which I am a member, enjoy really serious and longstanding advantages in our society. And the sooner we can talk about it, the sooner we can begin to change that. And also, like, that is what it means to be a smart, positive leader, dear listener, dear no longer a listener. (laughs) And I do think that it is spreading love to tell white people that they are part of a group. The same way that, like, any, you know, groups that are part of these so-called censored conversations are part of a group, too. So... Honestly, uh, we are already having it all in a nicely wrapped podcast and never call us girls. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm just so offended because some of my best friends are white people and I would never, just never, never say anything racist about them. Oh my God. Like, 
I am offended at the notion, honestly. Ugh. I mean, obviously, it is it is a possibility for anyone to make assumptions about someone else based on their race. Like, but that is not the same thing as like this person doesn't use the phrase reverse racism. This person is just saying it's racism. But like, yeah, you know, I know. But this is this is even worse. It, she called it white racism. Uh, which wait, oh my I god, think that honestly. <laughs> but I think that honestly, all racism should be called white racism. Yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah. You're right. That's <laughs> literally the name of it. Right, like a system designed to prop up like whiteness as the norm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like, girl, are you serious? Like, yeah. great coinage, white racism. That's really what it is. I know. People will never cease to surprise me. And why are white people so thin-skinned? Well, when you've been used to getting everything your way and one little thing doesn't go your way or you're told that you didn't earn it, people get very cranky. I just, can you tell your other white people about this? It's not cute. It's not cute and it's not a good look. I know. Doing my best. It's funny, you know, this reminded me of at the beginning of the year when we took a few race questions and things got a little heated. Someone sent us an email because... And people called me, people call me the real racist. Oh my God. I I know. I was trying to introduce that as gently as possible. But yeah, when like people were super (laughs) shitty to you earlier this year, when we took some questions about race and like whether and how white people act against racism when only other white people are around. We were talking about the trapdoor of racism, which is... I believe Wesley Morris, right? Wrote about that. Yes. Yes. In an amazing Ted 2 review. God, I forgot it was a review of Ted 2. <laughs> it was um, a review of Ted 2. Like, I can't believe I'm like so touched by a movie review ever. Uh, but anyway, this notion that at any point your white friends could say or do something racist or hurtful. And like, that's like the trapdoor of racism. Like, whoops, like I thought I was on stage stable, solid ground, and I'm actually not, like, with this person. At some point in those conversations, I only remember this because of the email we got, I think you, Amina, had made some comment about, like, never being totally 100% bulletproof sure that the trapdoor wasn't going to open under you. Like, that's what makes it a trapdoor. You don't know it's there. And uh, we got this email from someone who was like, Anne, as Amina's white friend, how did that make you feel? (laughs) Which to me is like the definition of the problem. Like, like yeah, listeners, like, I'm Anne, how like, did that make you y'all feel? Are out here having side conversations. I see you. <laughs> I mean, like, but the, just the fact, I mean, that email came to like both of us, I think. And that was when I was like, wow, like maybe we need to talk about this for 20 minutes in every episode because this person read this whole thing about like people feeling not supported and not safe in their most intimate relationships that are, that happen to be with white people or cross racial people of color feeling unsafe, at least in some way, and wrote to me and was like, you white person, how does that make you feel? And I was just like, (laughs) wow, like how, how can it be that that was your takeaway that like, I might be the one feeling hurt here? What? Because because, air quotes, white people's number one superpower, according to me, is taking systemic critiques and making them personal. (sighs) Yeah. And it's just like, it's like, dog. Read the room. You can't get away with this for like much longer because as the Republicans say, like, what do they say? Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) Demographics is destiny. It just like baffles me. It completely, completely, completely baffles me. But you know what? We're one interracial friendship at a time. We're going to get there. Yeah. And like, I don't know if you're about to send an email asking or defending white people's feelings. Maybe just pause 
Think about some context. Do a Google. Think about non-white people's feelings before you hit send. Imagine me in your face calling you a racist. Like maybe that's <laughs> Oh my God. Like just in that, like, if you're about to send that email, just like that's what you should do. It's like close your eyes. It's like big black Amina and I'm going to call you a racist. So you should stop yourself. I can't. I can't. I just, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, the problem though, is that like, we don't call enough people racist. Like, I feel like if we did, people would calm down because the way that I always see these, these situations play out both in like podcast world and online and even in real life is that it's always the person of color who ends up getting called the real racist. Right. And I'm just like, what, I'm like, what kind of topsy-turvy racist bullshit is this? This is crazy. Historically, it doesn't track. I'm not buying it. If you're so mad about something, you should probably just take like 10 minutes to think about why it makes you so upset. And you should probably be more upset that like racism exists at all. Than like what like my or like your part in like perpetrating it is. Yeah, 100% that. And... And just because, like, like this, this email that kicked off this conversation that we read, just because this person is referring to both of us as racist against white people, <laughs> like, is is not a is not a cover. It's like I really, I, I can't, just like, I can't speak for you, Anne, but some of my best friends are white, so I take offense. Wouldn't it? It would. It would be equally fucked up if I were like, I have no white friends. All my friends are like, <laughs> like I have curated a whitelist friend experience for me, or like a. Oh my god! Like a. Oh my god! That would be that would be amazing. Slash, I wouldn't trust you at all. Exactly, um, you wouldn't trust that at all. Like I would be such a liar. I'd be like, hello, my name is Ann Friedman from Iowa, and I have no white friends. You would not. Yeah, I would be like a I'm serial be like, killer. What kind of Michael Jackson weird ass <laughs> bullshit is? <laughs> we'll figure it out the only thing I will say is like if you need to work through some white feelings about race like maybe you should just email me and like spare (laughs) spare (laughs) like at least have the forethought to like only email another white person your like shameful ability to like not google the answer to your question like maybe okay this is an actual real question that I have because I feel that like in my experience whenever a big um as Barack Obama calls them, teachable moment happens. Uh-huh. <laughs> so like, you know, like race problems happens. White people always reach out to their minority friends with like all sorts of questions. And honestly, that's usually how the trapdoor of racism is opened in most relationships is you like thought you were cool and then like Ferguson happens and you realize that you're just like somebody's personal Wikipedia. Like, with my Black friends, we talk about this all the time whenever there's a thing. And then we keep a list of, like, all of the people who've asked us things and what they've asked us. And we, like, like we at the meetings, we talk about them. Mm-hmm. But do white people talk about that with each other? Like, do people come to you and they go, hey, Anne, like, can you explain this thing to me? Or, like, like do you guys do that at all? Or do you do it to just your, like, minority friends? I cannot speak for everyone. I have a lot of conversations about... But Anne, I want you to speak for everyone. I am I always asked to speak for everyone. No, no. Okay, right. Sorry. My bad. Uh, yeah, white people, like, first... Your first bet... Like, this is the... Why Why make a friend who is not white if you're not going to go to them first with your questions like this, right? Like, I don't know. Frankly, oh I... Oh, my God. You're right. What a great racket. I had not even thought about that. Uh, I don't know. I... 
So like you guys like don't talk about it. You don't go like, man, Barack Obama just had to have a beer summit because of racism. Like, like, let's talk about it together. On the white people listserv, there is usually some like, um, like someone will throw out suggestions like, hey, here's a black friend I have that's been really good at answering this question in the past. Why don't you text them <laughs> and, and include like full contact info so that like the other white people can be sure to get in touch immediately and demand um, some like ways to understand and get involved in what's going on. So oh if you've God. gotten okay. a lot of Thank calls. Thank you for clarifying that for me because, wow, that like I had never realized that. If you've gotten a lot of calls, it's because I have put your con- personal info on a few white people listservs from time to time. <laughs> like, um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, we keep like we I mean, you know, like the black delegation, we keep a list of this shit of like the people who ask you for stuff or like. My personal favorite is when you get emails from people who are friends of friends or just like kind of acquaintances who are like, hi, I'm hiring a person and I would like it to be a person of color. Can you recommend people? And you're like, I'm not even in your industry. Like, and I'm not a recruiter. So like, good luck. Yeah. Like these things make no sense. Okay. Um, You've just like, you've cleared up a huge thing and I will make sure to bring it at the meeting so that we're all aware of it. Can I, can I hit you with a, with a set of questions that I obviously always do bring to my black friends, which is. Yes. Tell me. Anything that has to do with skincare, moisturizing or exfoliation. I like go immediately to the black delegation with these questions. I'm like, I don't. You, you are right too. Look at how (laughs) dewy and cute you're looking in the summer with your new, with your new middle part. You look so good. Honestly. You look good. Because you got friends of color. That's why. A hundred percent. This is why I'm phasing all white friends out of my social group because I look, <laughs> I, I only, I only look better the more I take advice from my black friends about and what to do I'm gonna with start my skin. Monitoring, I'm going to start monitoring how many white friends you have. And when it reaches like critically low levels, I'm going to like make sure to check in on you and see what's going on. Like every Instagram featuring a white person gets the eyeball yeah, emoji. I'm going to be like, what? I'm like, what's going on here? What's going on here? <laughs> what oh my is God. going on with you? I can't wait for all the mail we're going to get from someone who doesn't understand sarcasm and can't Google after this. <laughs> oh my God. It's like, just, just relax. Relax. It's going to be okay. It's going to, it's all going to be, it's all going to work out. I keep thinking about, um, in like Carly Rae Jepsen voice, race problems. <laughs> Or white Who's got yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. You know what? Thank you for being a white friend that I could ask white things to. Let's make this a recurring feature. Ask a friend. Ask, ask a white, a white person. Yeah, totally. I'm always here. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask my my friends of flavor what questions they have for you and I'm going to bring them all back for the next time we talk. Yeah, I mean, L.L. Bean, pumpkin spice lattes, um, like not being yeah. able to dance except at weddings, like even then not really well. Bring all those questions to me. I know, kissing your dogs, what's up with that? Oh um, God. How come, how come white people don't use washcloths? What's up with that? What's up with green bean casseroles? We have a lot of questions. You know who uses washcloths now because I was schooled by my friends who aren't white. This lady. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. (sighs) Okay. Thank God. Oh my God. I'm so glad you cleared this up for me. It's like, you know, between having white friends and then like having white bays, there's so many like... The politics of it are so treacherous. Thank you for explaining this to me. Uh, looking forward to the emails that are going to come to me directly now. That's all I have to say. 
<laughs> That's right. If you have a race question, you should ask Anne. Don't ask me. You have Google in the palm of your hands. Or like Anne Friedman's email is callyrgf <laughs> at gmail.com. Uh, all right. Well, see you on the internet. <laughs> See you on the white internet, boo boo. See you on <laughs> see you see you on Al Gore's white internet. See you on the white people internet. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. Download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts or on Apple Podcasts, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can tweet at us at callyrgf or email us callyrgf at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, look that up yourself, or on Instagram at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All other music you heard today was composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. And this podcast is produced by the beautiful Gina Delbeck. Delbeck.